0: space the final frontier these are the voyages of the starship enterprise its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new life and new civilizations to boldly go where no one has gone before
1: hello and welcome to another episode of retrospection Get ready to beam into a world of adventure as we warp through Well, actually considering how long our episodes are, we don't even reach impulse speed Anyway, as we warp through the pilot episode of Star Trek The Next Generation Encounter at Fairpoint But first, a quick mention that this is, sort of, kind of officially, our hundredth show How did we get here? Still asking that question (laughs) actually not how more why <laughs> What to yourself in the mirror every day yeah every day <laughs> yeah i'd like to thank our listeners for staying with us over this period and to celebrate i'll be unusually having a drink while paul as usual will be having a drink
2: <laughs> well in all fairness some of our listeners probably think you always have a drink as well but but you you, you you've uh you, you've changed your ways recently haven't you
1: yes mm-hmm. yes I've become a monk.
2: Benedictine. I
1: bet he does. Yay, we got it in 100. There we go. We didn't even plan
2: that one. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I just want to uh, say thank you to, to everybody that's been supporting us and listening over the last, what, five years now, is it, that we've been doing this? I thought it was 26. Feels like it, doesn't it? Um, in particular, people like, uh, Matt Wolski, Jai, uh, Jai King, I think it's it J King, if I've mispronounced your name wrong, I'm really sorry. And especially, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> not really. Uh, and especially a big shout out to a guy called Keith Bowman, who's, who's stuck with us through thick and thin. And I know he's having a difficult time at the moment. So I just want to say, hang in there, mate. And, and thanks for everything um i want to say thank you to a few other people as well i want to say thank you to adam who stepped into your shoes colin once in the past when you were off on your secret Mm -hmm. mission yeah that we don't talk about yeah um i want to say thanks to dave hurrell who guested on our computer games episode
1: yes yes we'll have to have him back sometime once once the cream starts working
2: we're not contagious anymore are we oh no 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 uh, and a special shout out to Judy Matheson who took the time to come and chat with us that afternoon. That was really yes, nice of her. That, that was that, that was the highlight of the show. It was. It was. It was a one and only interview, really, wasn't it? So far. Yeah. If anyone else wants to come and, and be interviewed by us, then drop us a line. We're, we're quite happy to. I,
1: I'll interview you, Paul. <laughs> I
2: don't. I don't want to know what you're going to ask me. Yeah. Leave. <laughs> leave, leave, leave that there. Right. Uh, and and finally, I just want to say thanks to all the podcasts out there that have supported us over the years um there's there's lots to mention so i'm not going to mention you all but but um specifically ones like a very british horror um paul and chris over there have have always stuck by us from the first day i think um launching the pilot another podcast starts and many many others and also i want to say um hello to chelsea moss over on twitter who runs the ronald lacey fan club because she's, she's always stuck with us as well. And just, just thank you to everybody, really. It's like an Oscar speech. I know. Who'd have thought we'd had that many people?
1: Yeah, you didn't even thank your mother.
2: Oh, uh, I suppose, I, suppose for, I should thank my wife you. as
1: well. well. You're married? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, someone puts up with this, Colin.
1: That, that's unbelievable. I know, it is. Well, let that be a lesson to everybody out there. There's always hope.
2: There's someone out there for everybody, Colin. Mm, yeah. True. Yeah.
1: So this show will be a two-parter because apparently you've got a lot to say.
2: We, uh, you've got a lot to say as well, Colin, I think, haven't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, here and there.
2: <laughs> You're all right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My name's Colin. And thou art notified that thy kind have infiltrated the galaxy too far already. Thou art directed to return to thine own solar system immediately. All right, I'll get me coat. (laughs) Can you imagine if Pickard had said that? (laughs) Said, I'll get me out. Just puts on a hat. Leaves.
2: Well, he is is really a Yorkshireman, isn't he? Patrick Stewart. So (laughs) he can do the Yorkshire accent. And my name's Paul, and shut off that damn noise!
1: He's very aggressive about that, isn't
2: he? He shouts a lot in this. Yeah,
1: I'll uh, I'll touch on that.
2: Oh, all right. With my, what, with my pinky touch? finger. You're going to touch Patrick Stewart with your pinky finger. Yeah. I'm sure he'll enjoy it. He'll shout. He In all fairness, he'd take anything these days. Have you seen Picard?
1: <laughs> yeah, I've seen some of it. <laughs> we'll leave
2: that one there or maybe we won't we'll see
1: <laughs> I- IMDB says set almost 100 years after Captain Kirk's five year mission a new generation of Starfleet officers set off in the USS Enterprise D on its own mission to go where no one has gone before
2: it's pretty accurate
1: for IMDB yeah, yeah. it's stars Patrick Stewart Captain Jean-Luc Picard I feel weird doing a cast list for something so familiar <laughs> but alright this is, this is a formula
2: it is. We've Don't got to
1: keep it. Yeah. yeah. Brent Spiner as Lieutenant Commander Data. Jonathan Frakes as Commander William Riker. Lever Burton as Lieutenant Commander Jody Lafarge. Marina Sirtis as Counselor Deanna Troy. Michael Dawn as Lieutenant Worf. Gates McFadden as Dr. Beverly Crusher. Will Wheaton as Wesley Crusher. Denise Crosby as Lieutenant Tasha Yar. Cole Meany as Miles O'Brien. And John DeLancey as Q. Although he's
2: not called Miles O'Brien
1: yet, is he in this? Does he have a name in this? They just refer to him as Khan. That's all. That's all they call him. Well, that's his position. That's what he sat at.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So he, they don't even call him by his name. They just call him Khan. Which, which had, if I remember correctly, when I saw this as a kid, I was I was convinced that they were calling him Khan. Oh, so you
1: thought there was some kind of link? Yeah. Like yeah. like, do it. There was a Khan on the Enterprise. After Khan. Instead of you know being before Khan, because mm-hmm. Khan's throughout the end life of the Enterprise, apparently. Apparently so, yes.
2: Apparently so. Yeah.
1: Then nobody remembers.
2: Nobody remembers, not even Spock. No. Mm. No. We mm-hmm. Should look into that. We should. Yes.
1: This episode was directed by Cary Allen and written by Gene Roderberry and D.C. Fontana. Uh, do you remember when Star Trek was written by experienced writers, or at least people who knew when to use the word "hanged" instead of "hung"? <laughs>
2: It's been such a long time, Colin. I don't know if I can remember. It's a good job I watched
1: this. Yeah. Mm. Talking of DC Fontana, at time of recording, the third episode of Star Trek, Not So Strange Nor New Worlds, has just aired. Mm -hmm. Um, And in it, there's a story about number one, Una, being a Illurian. That's right, yeah. And she's genetically modified, and Mm -hmm. people find out about this. And there was an article in one of the trades where the showrunner of New Worlds was saying that when you're dealing with Star Trek canon and you're adding something, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to discuss it, but, you know, the story should win free. Yeah. What he didn't mention was all that stuff about being Illyrian and genetically modified was written by DC Fontana in the Star Trek novel, Vulcan's Glory. So they stole it from there, and I'm not mentioning that bit.
2: Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, is DC Fontana still with us? Or No, she passed away a couple of years ago, I believe. So somebody must be looking after her estate, uh, surely? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I could see that going so well then.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't mm. it? Mm. Apparently Discovery does that all the time.
2: What, just steals things?
1: From novels, from Star Trek <laughs> novels, and doesn't like credit anybody. <laughs>
2: How can they steal things from people that actually know how to write Star Trek and it still be so rubbish?
1: I assume because they just type in wiki
2: Spock mm. background.
1: Yeah, that's... And then they just take from that.
2: I mean, I thought that our research was was crap, but I mean, they've got us beat. Really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so bad. We we could write for that show. <laughs> we do it better. <laughs> that's so bad, it is. Yeah. <laughs>
2: So, do you recall when you first saw Encounter at Fairpoint? <clears throat> um, no, I, I, there's there's two versions of this, and I'm not sure which oh, one is. Wait,
1: the truth? They're just like a...
2: <laughs> both are, both are true, but I can't remember which mm. came first. So Ooh. it was either, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna mention some illegal activity that we got up to in a minute, Colin. Back in our yeah, years. so am I, so am I. But it involves drugs. It's okay. <laughs> So, do you remember that you used to get a hold, and I don't know where you got them from, but you used to get a hold of these mm. tapes that had um, episodes of, of TNG on them, recorded from, it was either like ITL or something like that, I think?
1: No, they were recorded in America, then shipped to the UK, then converted to PAL, and then copied again and again and again and again by a billion people. Yeah. So that by the time they got into our hands... I don't even think some of them were in colour because the colour had been drained out of it because it was so many copies. The tracking was terrible. <laughs> the sound was <laughs> awful.
2: That's right. They were almost, the picture was almost see-through, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was either one of those. Mm-hmm. But I have a sneaking suspicion what I, when I actually first saw it was, do you remember that they, they used to have a habit over here of sticking episodes onto videotape and then releasing them to uh, rental shops? Yeah, I may have rented it out before I saw it on one of those videos that you gave me. Okay, but on it, I honestly can't remember what which came first. So that would have been what this came. What was it? Eighty seven, eighty eight. Was it? I have actual dates. Oh, excellent! Then you'll know. You'll be able because to
1: because it's it's kind of shocking, and it explains why we were doing this, why we were getting these pirated tapes. So. Star Trek was Next Generation first aired in the USA on September 28th, 1987. Mm-hmm. It only started in the UK in September 1990, three years later. It took three years for it to start running in the UK.
2: Yes, because I, if memory serves, they were already on the third season, weren't they, in, in the States? And, yeah. and I remember when it aired on, on, B, on the BBC, we were in college. I remember that we. I specifically remember we were in college. Right. Um, so yeah, it would have been. I wonder why it took so long. It's particularly, Star Trek it was kind of a, a mainstay of the BBC, wasn't it? I mean, the original series yeah. was always on at six PM on BBC Two Monday to Friday, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. Now the pilot episode was released on videotape in the UK four months after it was shown in the US. That would have been. So I'm guessing you rented it. Yeah.
2: What about you? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I rented it, and then I watched, you know, obviously the ones that I gave to mm-hmm. you. Yeah. So then the BBC showed it until Best of Both Worlds Part
2: 2, and then they lost it to Sky. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, and Sky started it again from the beginning, didn't they?
1: Yeah, caught up and then carried mm-hmm. on going. And then the BBC could only show the episodes a few months after Sky had shown mm-hmm. them. What a
2: crazy system. I know, it, it sounds bizarre when you think about the way that things are run today, you know, the, the, the streaming services, and you, you literally get things the, the like the day after that it's shown in the States now, don't you? Yeah, you do. Oh, oh I do, yes, you, you get it the day it actually comes out, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot where you live then, Colin. <laughs> well, I'm actually in my
1: own time bubble. <laughs> I am 24 hours behind everybody else. Right, Okay. Yeah, it's terrible because I turn up for work on a Saturday.
2: (laughs) Oh, you don't want to do that? No, no. Just don't turn up for work, Colin. Oh, yeah,
1: could try that. Mm -hmm. So back when they were starting to go into production for this new series, Gene Raraby said he did not want to recast the roles or have a retread crew. He explained, I would hate to think our imagination is so slender that there aren't other possibilities to think about.
2: What happened to that, then? Uh, Let us sink in for a bit. I'll tell you what happened. Gene Roddenberry died. That's what happened. Oh,
1: that's what happened. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I think... I I don't want to get too heavily into um, modern Star Trek, because we're going to talk about that in the next episode, aren't we? Yeah. In the second part of this. But I do think that the the one thing that, that Star Trek needs is a firm hand at the helm. And it doesn't wow. have that at the minute. It's got a very sloppy hand at the helm.
1: Both those things have been said about you, though.
2: <laughs> My hand's firm, Colin. I don't know what you're talking about. Ah, oh. I grip onto that helm and I don't let go. All oh, right. Mm. right. When the cast lobbied for a salary increase, the producers... <laughs> this, is... <laughs> this is involving our favourite Star Trek actor, so you'll like this. The producers instead offered Will Wheaton a character promotion to lieutenant rather than a raise. All right. And his response was to point out that maybe when his landlord asks for his rent, he should just tell him not to worry, that he's made lieutenant.
1: Yeah, that's fair enough.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Worf's head was stolen. Uh, oh, I've, I've drunk there a few times. It's a great pub. <laughs> I think I was as well. Worf's head changed in season two because the original was stolen. Oh. That's why he looks different. Who by? Did they ever find out? Never found out. I suspect it was... Michael Don. It's
1: in his uh, apartment, isn't it?
2: that's that's exactly what I suspect, yeah. Uh, When he was first cast, Patrick Stewart was labelled in the press as an unknown British Shakespearean actor. Was he? Apparently so, maybe in America. So apparently Brent Spiner had a sign made up and posted onto his dressing room door that said, um, unknown British Shakespearean actor. I'm sure that went down well with Patrick Stewart at the time. he, He likes a joke. Oh yes, he's a barrel, that's Patrick Stewart, isn't he? <laughs> I remember him being on. Um, I think it was. Do you remember when? I think you probably moved by then. When um, Frank Skinner had a chat show over here for a while, and Patrick Stewart was a guest on it, and Frank Skinner's a huge Star Trek fan, and he wanted to talk about Star Trek, and you could see Patrick Stewart starting to get more and more annoyed. To which point, at one point, he turned round to Frank Skinner and just said. I have done other things, you know. Really? Like what? Life force. Oh,
1: well, yeah. Could have <laughs> talked about that. We'd see have previous.
2: Happy. See previous episode. We've
1: we've yeah. we talked about life force before. Was was, was Dune after this?
0: Before no, this before Dune. Right? Dune would have yeah, been before. So, you've done Dune. so yeah.
1: So there you go.
2: Huge I, back catalogue. D- yeah, I Claudius. Yeah, uh, he's good in oh. that.
1: Oh, I thought I thought Claudius had entered your room. <laughs>
2: Hi, Claudia. Claudius. Yes. How are you doing?
1: You all right? <laughs> Not bad. Yeah, <Duh>. those togas.
2: <laughs> in um, what did you think of the of the season one uniforms? Because they change in season three, don't they? They were replaced by two piece ones. I like them. What the the two piece ones?
1: No, the I like the the ones in the, the we've seen the pilot. So do I. I think I think the later ones look frumpy. They look
2: weird. Everyone looks yeah. like a shaping in them. And apparently, they had a, the jackets had a tendency to ride up when you sat down, and that's why he did that tuggy thing became his like quirk, right? The the Picard maneuver it was called in the end. Oh. yeah. Uh, this I, this is this is I'm sure you know this, but the ceiling of the transporter room reuses the floor from the original series transporter room.
1: Yes, I do. Yeah,
2: so that's yeah. nice to have a little piece of history there in the set. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gates McFadden left for series two, and it was partly because. Um, she was promised that her character would become romantically involved with Picard, and that hadn't materialized. But it was also due to clashes with the showrunner as well. Uh, well, there was a lot of fighting on Star Trek Next Generation
1: between writers, producers, and actors.
2: Yeah. Um, and Diana Mulder, who replaced her, decided that it wasn't for her at the end of season two. So producer Rick Berman and Patrick Stewart personally reached out to McFadden, convincing her to come back. Hmm. I bet that was a difficult conversation, especially for Rick Berman.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
2: yeah. I bet he doesn't strike me as a guy that goes down on bended knee very often. Oh, well, it's the getting up that's the difficult part. Mm-hmm. Trust me. <laughs> well, yeah. you, get dead. you don't know your knees a lot, do you, Colin? Oh, yeah. Do you? Yeah? yeah. Begging for mercy. I'm glad, I'm... <laughs> glad you said that. <laughs> Patrick Stewart. This is a fun fact. Patrick Stewart didn't unpack his bags for the first six weeks of shooting because he was convinced that the show would fail. Everyone was convinced that it wasn't either they weren't going to make it past
1: the pilot, and then when Mm -hmm. they did, they weren't going to make it past the first season.
2: Yeah, I think there was a lot of um, of those, and a lot of them were usually quite cheap, weren't they? Shows that were either reboots or cashing in on old properties. You had, you know, Mission Impossible came back. You had that War of the Worlds TV show. Um, Yeah. There was a lot of them. And I think a lot
1: of people were like, oh, you can't redo Star Trek. I mean, I think even William Shatner was saying things like that publicly at the time, wasn't he? I think he still does. I think he
2: still does.
1: I don't remember not wanting to see it or having any ill feelings about it. Even though I was a Star Trek fan before TNG, Mm -hmm. I had no problem with the new show coming on.
2: It's interesting because the first time I ever heard that there was going to be a new show is, um, you know, I'm a big comic book reader. and You are? Still looks shocked. Yes, don't look yeah. I, I don't talk about it very often, Colin. No, um, you don't. You, you keep I don't, it to no. yourself. I do. I yeah, do. yeah. That and your doll collection. Me goes, Colin, me goes. So I was reading at the time DC's, um, they had a, a monthly comic book, which was always kind of hard to get over in this country. And in the letters pages at the back, they would do little editorials. And the first I heard that there was going to be a new series was, and that was just after Star Trek Four had come out and they were starting to talk about a new series. Now, there wasn't much detail at that point. And I naturally assumed that, obviously, Star Trek Four ends with them getting a new Enterprise and they go off for what is supposedly new adventures. Part of me was thinking... Yeah, have a whale of a time. That's it. Part of me was thinking... Are we getting a new show with the original cast, and that's what's going to spring off from Star Trek Four? And it was only as things started to develop and they started talking about um, new characters and there was going to be a Klingon on board that I, re- I started to realize this is not this is going to be something new and different. And I didn't have any animosity towards that idea; it didn't bother me. It's like just oh, I'm going to get some new Star Trek.
0: Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. And- no- nowadays, when you hear that you're going to get some new Star Trek. You start to tremble, don't you? <laughs> well, that's more to do with the people that's behind it than I, I know, else. I
1: know. During those three years of when we knew there was Next Generation being heard in the US and we couldn't watch it except on these occasional tapes, I was getting a Star Trek The Next Generation magazine. Oh, the official one? Yeah, that had like the episode synopsis and bits and pieces mm-hmm. and interviews in it. So I was
2: buying that. And I think I was um, subscribing to a Star Trek fanzine. I, I was subscribing to it for years. It was called um, IDIC. Oh, yeah, I was a member it, it, of that too. Yes, and they used to put, put synopsis of episodes yeah. that were up and coming in there as well. Yeah. So I probably read those before I saw any of them. Yeah, well, it was fun times. It was. It was It was simpler days, Colin. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for his first meeting with Paramount Execs, Patrick Stewart wore a her piece at the advice of the producers.
1: He had what?
2: A her piece.
1: Oh, her piece. No, Sorry, no, we did, <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> did miss a Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> but but uh, after the meeting they agreed to cast him expressly on the condition that he lost it, that he lost the piece. Right. Yeah. But I mean, you don't want to hide that head, do you? No, this that's his distinctive feature, right? It is. It's yours too thank you very much although I've got a little bit it's a little tough though you can see it if you look closely. why'd you
1: bother with that
2: because I look weird without it Colin do you yes but but you think you look alright now <laughs> well as good as it's gonna get you know oh right have you uh, ever uh,
1: gone and shaved it all off
2: once and I didn't like it ah fair enough so I've grew it back so moving on from my hair okay oh uh, we'll be
1: back to it later
2: alright I, 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 I look forward to that a follow-on from that, though, is that Gene Roddenberry was also initially dead against Patrick Stewart as the captain because he envisioned Picard as a more youthful man with a full head of hair. <laughs>
1: That's important. Oh wait, people are bald in the twenty-first century.
2: <laughs> I guess not. Though it's like money; <laughs> they don't have that <laughs> yeah, either. Do right, they? Yeah. Um, eventually, he relented, realizing that Patrick Stewart was the perfect man for the job. And I've got to say that I don't know what you think about this, but as much as Gene Roddenberry is a legend to all the fans, and he is. I mean, he created the thing. Do you think that there's a case to argue that he didn't always necessarily get it right or know what was in what was best for the for the series?
1: Yeah, there's a there's a bit in the Star Trek: The Motion Picture Design book where mm-hmm. it talks about how the designers went to this lab to look at the future of computing, and it was all like touchscreens and like these like semi-transparent screens that people were moving images around on. Mm-hmm. And this is like in the seventies mm-hmm. and they were like, Oh, this is what we should have on the bridge of the enterprise. And Roddenberry's like, no, no, we want portal shaped screens, view screens, like monitors. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Oh, okay. And that's what they did. So, so while Gene Rotherbury is obviously a great man from inventing star Trek, he was also a hindrance to it as well. Sometimes.
2: Yeah. I'd agree with that as well. Um, I mean he was a complicated man as well, wasn't he? I think. It's yes, probably the yeah, best way of yeah. putting it. But a good example, a funny example of how cantankerous he could be. Uh, did you hear this this story about what he did when he learned that Paramount wasn't going to pay for the cost of building an engine room because there was no engine room in the original script for Encounter at Fairpoint?
0: So he... they, they
1: told him that if it doesn't appear in the pilot you won't be building it for the series. Yeah.
2: So he rewrote the, the, the script to put scenes in specifically in the engine room, didn't they?
1: Yeah, the the opening scene yeah. where he's just walking around it,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I read that. I mean that that um that sums him up really, I think, Gene Roddenberry.
1: Yeah, but that's a good producer, right? That's it what is. you
2: want. It is. You gotta And how how could you even consider having a Star Trek series without an engine room set? Yeah, it's true. Because that that having an engine room opens so many possibilities for stories, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and like it did. engines are working, mm-hmm.
1: engines are not working. Mm-hmm. Endless. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, Jonathan Frakes famously returned to season two rehearsals, intending to shave his beard off before filming started. Um, but the producers loved it so much that they asked him to keep it. And, and you've oh, got it's to, a you've, magic beard. It is a magic beard. You've got to say that beard does do a lot of heavy lifting for him as well. <laughs>
1: yeah, he suddenly became a hundred percent better at acting with that beard. <laughs> it's a magic beard. That beard must have been doing like acting lessons. During the break, the beard was off doing different shows, doing a one-man show, or one-beard show, I should
2: say. Do, do you think that there's a certain element with um, Jonathan Frakes that's kind of a bit like William Shatner in the fact that as it as it went on, I think that Jonathan Frakes is he's playing less of a character and just being himself? I, yeah,
1: but that, a lot of actors do that. Mm-hmm. That's part of what happens on a TV series, right? Mm-hmm. You become relaxed in your role, and you and the role merge. Mm-hmm. As yeah. long as it's believable, that's fine.
2: Yeah, yeah. You never saw an actor deliver their lines when walking through a door? Because apparently they made a hell of a noise when they were moving. Well, well, what? Wasn't it just people pushing it? Yep. Yeah. Oh, but, uh, but I
1: guess a scrapey
2: sound yeah. or something? Yeah, so that's why you yeah. you never see actors speaking as they pass through doorways in Star Trek. All right. Um, Robin Williams was a huge fan. Robin Williams, not not the singer, Robbie Williams. Oh, okay. Was a, a huge Star Trek fan, and he lobbied the producers for a part in an episode. And he was slated to appear in the episode a matter of time in season five. Um, you'll know the episode when I tell you. Um, it ultimately. It's the
1: one where the alien bursts out of an egg and sits upside down <laughs> in the chair.
2: <laughs> no, it's not that one. <laughs> Um, oh. he, he ultimately had to pull out due to scheduling conflicts, and the role was eventually played by Matt Frewer. You know the episode I'm talking about now, it's where he's he's pretending to be um, a guy from the far future, and he's really there to steal yes. artifacts. Yeah, and sell. He's just stealing stuff. Yeah, right. It's a good yeah. episode. It is, mm-hmm. and I think maybe Robin Williams in it would have overshadowed it, and Matt Matt Frewer was just it, it, it was fine with Matt Frewer in that role. Yeah, I agree. Q was named after a British fan named Janet Quarton, and Geordie was named after George LaForge, a fan who used a wheelchair.
1: Oh, all right. And Q was originally supposed to be different people. Um, So when the costumes change, it was supposed to be a different Q, but all the Q are supposed to look like John Delancey. And that's why he plays them all very differently, because that's what they carried through in the pilot, and then they dropped it in the
2: future episodes. I think that that would have been a more interesting idea, don't you?
1: Yes, yeah. I can you imagine the later episodes when he was thrown out the queue, continuum, mm-hmm. when he's going to be thrown out by himself?
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think John yeah. Delancey would have had fun playing that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it would have explained also why Guinan recognises him as the Q instantly. Be- because they all look the same. Yeah. yeah.
2: But then she'd recognise him anyway because, you know, Guinan can summon Qs with a magic bottle.
1: Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. But then forgets that she's met Picker right. In the nineteenth uh, century, <laughs> or whenever it was. Yes, yes, right. She got she got an odd memory problem. She also at some at some point she stopped working out too. <laughs> you can. I liked to be there that day. What what was that? <laughs> you know when she's when she's in like whatever century they are in picard and she's going oh this is a ter- this is a terrible world and you're like well you were in the time of slavery and you didn't really seem to curb back then but all right when did you stop working out
2: <laughs> no you can't say that colin <laughs> oh, no God? you can't all right um i think people listed to us are gonna get are we giving the impression that we don't like picard very much that the series picard do you think
1: Oh, I think... No, I think we've we've kept that quiet. I think so. I think it's... No one could it, tell. It's under yeah. the radar,
2: surely, I think. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Denise Crosby was initially cast as Troy, and Marina Sirtis was cast as Security Chief Hernandez.
1: Hmm, that could have been tricky. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, just yeah, before right. filming, the roles were switched, and Hernandez became Tasha Yar. Right, better. Do you think they cast Marina Sirtis as Hernandez because, um... To, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll leave that one there then. Uh, if you zoom in on the Enterprise schematic, which is shown a lot in the show, you can see details like uh, apparently there's a mouse on a wheel and in the engineering section that powers the engine. Oh, that'd be cool. And there's a Porsche parked in a shuttle bay apparently as well.
1: Nice. Must be uh, Picard's. Porsche. Yes, yeah, his midlife yes. crisis. <laughs>
2: Uh, that's just the people that do the decals having fun, though, isn't it? Oh, you I think? think so? Yes, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a table in engineering that has an item labelled on it: the infinite improbability generator, which is from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Go. I knew you wouldn't let me down on that one. Uh, the Ferengi were introduced, and they were intended to become the main new adversaries. However, audiences found them way too comical. <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, not, they're not great in the earlier was it the last outpost and that one's got Armin
1: Shimmerman in it playing a Ferengi as well yeah no. but they, they clearly hadn't meshed
2: out what the Ferengi were like they, I, I don't think they did until DS9 really did they no and I think a lot of, of what they turned into was probably down to Armin Shimmerman
1: yeah maybe yeah.
2: yeah, the Forge's visor was an improvised prop on day one of filming apparently they just used an air filter and a hairband Stuck it together, and there you go, Bob's your uncle.
1: Nice. Mm -hmm. He's not, by
2: the way. (laughs) What, Bob? He's not your uncle? Yeah.
1: No, no. He's my second cousin's sister.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know I'm notoriously bad with, uh, you know, family. Just leave
1: it there. The sentence should stop right. okay. There's no need for any more words after that. You are notoriously bad.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The Forge was originally intended by Roddenberry to be a gay character. Okay, But due to Roddenberry's ailing health and eventual death, the reveal was scrapped. You can't see a studio in the 80s going for that anyway, can you?
1: No, not really.
2: During season one... Although,
1: it would would have saved us from the uh, Mopey episodes of him spending time with hologram characters trying to get off
2: of them. (laughs) That's all he does at one point, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. During season one, LeVar Burton would often doze off in his seated position and nobody would suspect because of the visor on his face.
1: Oh, that's cool. That's a job you want, isn't it?
2: I was going to say, I envy him that. <laughs> uh. I'd love to be able to do that. The, the original concept for Troy was that she would be... You'll like this one. The original concept for Troy was that she would be a sexually voracious four-breasted alien. I think there's a lot of Gene Roddenberry's work in that, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Wow. (laughs) What do you mean I I can't have a four-breasted alien?
1: Yeah, I wonder why (laughs) they didn't go for that.
2: I don't know. Uh, And this was an interesting um, fact, and it makes sense in a practical scenario, but it doesn't make sense from a story scenario. There was originally meant to be a transporter room that was supposed to be adjacent to the main bridge. So that makes sense, but Ronbury vetoed it as it made more sense dramatically to be able to have characters have conversations in the turbo lifts on their way to the transporter room. Right. Yeah, So the, I can well, see the, both sides to it.
1: There's always dodginess with the transporter beams. It's like, why why can you beam to the bridge? And why, why bother beaming to the transporter room if you could beam to the bridge? I'm sorry, there must be a, a logical reason in Star Trek fandom. Does that yeah, happen?
2: that's true. I never thought of that because, I mean, they, they just pull people from anywhere and move them anywhere they want to. So why do they have to stand on those pads?
0: Yeah. Hmm.
2: Maybe they have to...
1: No, I've got nothing. (laughs) Well, you could make something up like... Yeah, no, I can't. I was going to say maybe the the DNA or the, the, what is it, the pattern... You have to do it once. Yeah, Yeah. but then they beam up aliens who've never been on the Enterprise before, so that doesn't
2: work. No, it doesn't. No, no, no. no. Let's
1: not talk about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's one of those Star Trek things that, we, that people just don't talk about. Yeah. <laughs> the DeForest Kelly cameo was a very late addition to the pilot. Um, it came about after a meeting between him and Roddenberry. Apparently, Kelly said that he'd be honoured to do it, and he even insisted on only getting his scale salary for the appearance. Uh, and it is his final TV appearance ever in his career.
1: And they don't mention that it's Dr. McCoy in the episode. They never, never mention him by to, name. He's referred
2: to as Admiral. Mm. But we all know it's McCoy, don't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And the last thing is that the Battle Bridge set was originally built as the bridge for Star Trek The Motion Picture.
1: Yeah, yeah. How many
2: times did we see the Battle Bridge? That's about twice, is that it, in the entire seven yeah. years? They never use it again, do they? <laughs> I don't
1: think so. They must use it at some point. I can't remember, though. I
2: think they use it again in the first season, and that's about it. Yeah. In fact, they don't separate the saucer very often, do they? I think. I think can't even remember another time that they do it, apart from when it happens in Generations and they crash it into a planet.
1: You know why they do this in this episode? It was to
2: pad it. Oh, really? Is that the case?
1: Yeah, well, originally this was only supposed to be an hour, and there was a big argument about it being 90 minutes. Roddenberry never wanted it 90 minutes, so mm-hmm. the Q stuff was added to make it 90 minutes. But then Curry Allen, who is a well-known... TV director, he's directed lots of TV in the 60s, the 70s, 80s, whatever. He shoots fast, but also not only does he shoot fast, but his scenes are fast. He starts the scene as late as possible and finishes mm-hmm. it as early as possible. So he was going, he was shooting too quickly and it wasn't going to come into 90 minutes. So then they came up with an idea of padding it with this. And there are other scenes of padding where Worf walks to engineering. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. just padding to make it 90 minutes.
2: Yeah, so that's what it came about. Oh, right. I didn't know that. Shoots fast. Yep. You know somebody else that does that, don't
1: you, Colin? Yeah, you. All right, let's set those phases to stun and get on with the show. Let's. We begin with shots of our galaxy and the Enterprise comes into view. Picard begins the space. Final Frontier speech. And we get the music taken from Star Trek The Motion Picture by Jerry Goldsmith. There's an alternative theme by Dennis Boccafi that they thought about using. Have you heard it? I
2: have. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah. But it works better with the better with the motion picture theme. It Although does. I have to say, I, I do prefer the slower version of this that's used in the movie rather than the, the TV version. But it's fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. But I agree with you on that.
2: Yeah. It, it's got a little bit more majesty to it, hasn't it, in Star Trek: The Motion Picture, because it's slightly slower.
1: Yeah, very good word. Exactly is, yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think about them using space, the final frontier speech in Star Trek Not So Strange or even New Worlds?
2: Um, kind of the way I feel about the whole series, really. It's, it's there. Ah, all right. I, know, I was... I, 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 I'm indifferent to it.
1: Yeah, I was indifferent to it. Then I heard someone explain why they were annoyed about it. And I thought, well, that's actually an interesting take. So they love original Star Trek, and to them, space, the final frontier, is Kirk's first log. Mm -hmm. Because it's the first time he's taken the Enterprise out. Right? Mm -hmm. Picard uses it because it's the first time he's taken the Enterprise out, and he's a student of history and knows that Kirk used it, so he's continuing tradition. Mm -hmm. And he says that, now that Pike's used it in Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, it's ruined that.
2: Yeah, I can. I can. I can use, see that. I can see that. Yeah, doesn't bother that, me, but I can see that. Don't they use it in in the very last? Or m- might not be the very last episode, but because um, that's the terrible one. But I'm sure that they use it in a speech that um, Jonathan Archer gives to the to the early Federation or Starfleet. And he uses, you know, space the final frontier.
1: Oh, he does. Well, I mm-hmm. guess you could still say that Kirk uses it because he—he's paraphrasing Archer. It. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So it makes because sense in canon. It. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of agree with that point actually. That you just yeah.
0: made. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Well, what not my point, but I'll take the bonus. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But you don't remember?
2: Do you remember the name of the guy that made it?
1: Yeah, it was um, it was a YouTube guy. no, um, no don't, bro- don't
2: mention it. <laughs> all, right. all right
1: so uh, a counter point flashes on screen we close in on the enterprise d, d- don't the effects hold up well
2: i, I was going to say that it, it looks fantastic and it-, and it looks even better in hd doesn't it yes it does mm-hmm. yeah. you can see details on on that ship that you couldn't see before
1: yes yeah
2: and do you remember the sheer excitement when you first you saw this opening shot of it coming towards the screen and, and coming up to the window with Picard looking out. Yeah. It, it sets it up for you, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why that's happening, we hear is uh, log entry. And this is intercut with shots of Picard walking around the Enterprise and uh, through engineering. Captain's log, Stardate 41153.7. Our destination is Planet Deneb 4. Beyond which lies the great unexplored mass of the galaxy. My orders are to examine Fairpoint, a stairbase built there by the inhabitants of that world. Meanwhile, I'm becoming better acquainted with my new command, this Galaxy class USS Enterprise. I'm still somewhat in awe of its size and complexity. As for my crew, we are shot in several key positions. They're, they're really small, apparently. Huh. Most notably, a first officer but I'm informed that a highly experienced man, one Commander William Riker, will be waiting to join the ship at our Deneb-4 destination.
2: You know, I never liked that line um, when he says, I'm still somewhat in awe of its size and complexity. Never liked that line. I, I get that it's there logically for us as an audience, but Picard at this point is a seasoned captain who would have studied every detail of his new command before taking it. Would he really be awed by its size and complexity?
0: Well,
1: oh, maybe, because isn't this the first of the Galaxy-class starships?
2: It's not like he's only just seen it, is it? I mean, hes he, you're telling me he's just turned up and he's hes never seen it before. No,
1: he's still in awe. He's not saying I am in R, He's saying he's still. That's why he's pointing it out, because it's still something that's
2: in awe of. It doesn't feel like, like a Picard line, though. It doesn't feel like something Picard would say. I mean, he says, well, <laughs> says a lot more these days. That you... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's
1: true. All right, all right I... I don't agree, but I accept your point of view. And this is this is what we're going to do for the hundredth episode. I'm now going to accept your point of view, wow. no matter how stupid it is.
2: Are, are you going to carry on with that <laughs> for the next hundred? No, 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 oh, okay.
1: no. It ends. Okay. It's a special celebration.
2: <laughs> All right. Um, going back to the ship, I wanted to ask you what what do you think of um, the Enterprise D of the design? It's not
1: it's not my favorite. Sorry.
2: I I, I agree. It's it's. It took a long time for it to grow on me. I mean, I can, I, it's fine now, yeah. but I like the sleekness of it, but it still looks like a bit, a bit like a duck to me. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm an A guy. So am I. I was going to say it's no movie Enterprise, is it?
1: But I do have a little liking for the uh, one from Star Trek Enterprise.
2: Yeah. Do you think you like that because they've improved on the design of the original Enterprise, or do you think it, it stands on its own? Would you like it as much, Hmm. is what I'm saying, if it was a completely new ship?
1: No, I think I like it because it's a good variation of a theme. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Better than the original? Classic one? Well, the original's got that nostalgic feel about it. Mm -hmm. And I I think design-wise, yes, it's better than the original, but I don't think, like it's not, it's not original. It's easy to be better than something that's already been done for you. Yeah. Whereas I don't think there's any other starships that look like the Enterprise, right? No one thought of designing something that looked like the Enterprise. Everything looked like a rocket.
2: That's true. Yeah. And even the early, if you look at some, some of the early sketches of the Enterprise, it's very rockety at first.
1: Very rockety. Yeah. Oh, interesting word. I think
2: I made that one up then, didn't I? Um, I think you did. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep it. Okay. Uh, what about um, the, the, the thing with, with when they redesign the Enterprise? Uh, and this counts for those three movies as well that they made, the, the mm. Kelvin ones. I don't think that there was a, much of a problem with the original design of of the ship. I, I understand why they have to uh, redesign the, the interior of the ship because they're worried that, you know, if they did it like the 60s, it wouldn't stand up to today's audience. Which I, right. I don't generally agree with, but okay. Um, but the outside of the ship—did it really need to, need to be changed? It, 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 they could have kept it the same. I think it, it still holds up.
1: Right, right. It's an interesting take for a nerd. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realise we were going to be dragging out our Star Trek, Starfleet technical manuals. I can do it if you want me to. <laughs> I've
2: got it upstairs. Uh, yeah.
1: do, <laughs> yeah. do, do you want to go grab your Designing Starships book? That means I've got to move, Colin.
2: Uh, yeah, you don't want to do that. I don't
1: want to do that. Uh, so Picard surveys the bridge. You know, the most unrealistic part of Star Trek is that at no point does Picard step out of the ready room and find the bridge crew watching Dyad on the view screen.
2: It would look great, wouldn't it, I on mean, that, the size of that screen? Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly, and you're warping for four days to a far-off planet. There's nothing to do.
2: I often wondered about that. Do, do they just sit at those consoles for, for hours? Yeah,
1: just pressing yeah. buttons.
2: They're on, they're, they're on like Amazon. <laughs> because once they've entered the course and engaged the course, what do they do then? They don't steer it, do they? It
1: kind of runs automatically, doesn't it? No. Oh. Uh, and I assume the Enterprise runs on a twenty-four-hour Earth mm-hmm. time schedule, so someone's working. Yeah, nights. they
2: they they have night shift and day shifts, don't
1: they? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got a night shift. You're three days in warp, and you've got two days left to get to mm-hmm. a planet. Yeah. You're, you're slapping on Adventures of a Plumber's Mate on that view screen, grabbing some popcorn. You know. You know the captain's not up. It's nighttime.
2: If 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 you chose to watch Adventures of a Plumber's Mate, I mean, there'd be some really good points that you could see in in a lot of detail on the size of that screen. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah, and that's one of the weird things. They don't have. No one seems to have a TV in their uh, crew. Maybe they, maybe quarters. in the
2: twenty fourth century, you don't watch TV anymore. Well, no, maybe mm-hmm. not. Right. Although later uh, Riker does call up Netflix and, so that he can uh, recap on what happened earlier in the episode.
1: Yeah, but misses all the impossible. <laughs> bits. does, doesn't it? <laughs> um, what do you think about the design of the bridge? Ah, well, I, I kind of feel it's dated. I can see what you mean. In some yeah. ways, uh, in some odd ways, it's more dated than the original. And... Um, because the original is so distant in time from our own design aesthetic mm-hmm. that in some ways it's kind of futuristic. But this bridge, with its beige and brown and carpeted walls, it looks like the VIP lounge at Heathrow it Airport. It does,
2: doesn't it? It looks like the lobby of a mediumly starred hotel, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah, you, you keep expecting to like be pickers sat in the captain's chair and then be halfway through going... Captain's Lux, seven, seven, seven. sorry, uh, yeah, two olives in my whiskey, please. <laughs> Thank you. So I'll just walk off with it.
2: See, you make a good point about the original one as well, about it being so far removed from what we've got now that it, it looks kind of futuristic, which is why I think that they, you don't, you you could still carry off the original series design in a modern TV show. I mean, Star Trek continues that the online fan producer proved that,
1: yeah, at no point was I watching that going, oh, this looks terrible.
2: Not at all. No.
1: No. No. This is something Paramount should have done. They should have, uh, they could have done their own picket and their own strange new worlds and all that stuff. But they also should have bought Star Trek Continues and put money into it and let them do their own thing. Absolutely. And that way, the fans that like Star Trek old style would mm-hmm. have been thankful for that and enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And then the new fans would have been watching the new stuff.
2: I completely agree, uh, and it would have engendered so much more good feeling from the fans towards the new shows. I think as well, yeah. because they yeah. got, like you say, they got what they wanted. So, but yeah. no, 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 you, you can't give the fans what they want anymore. That's, no, that's true. You're not allowed yeah. to do that.
1: Yeah. Anymore. So, Picard walks towards Lieutenant Data. You will agree, Data, that Starfleet's orders are difficult. Data sees no difficulty in simply solving the mystery of Far Point Station. Pickard sits in the captain's chair alongside Deanna Troy. Ah, Troy's space girl
2: uniform. Yeah, yeah, you like that one, don't you? Mm, Don't see it again. No. Let's have a moment's silence for Deanna Troy's uniform. Death of a uniform. There's the title of the episode, Death of a Uniform. <laughs> of a uniform.
1: <laughs> Picker points out that the stuff is simple about a friendly agreement for Starfleet to use the base while snooping around to find out more about the life form that that's built it. Data replies, inquiry. The word snoop, they stopped that inquiry business quite quickly.
2: Yeah, I can see that. that's going to get annoying. Yeah, And why does he yeah. stand up to ask his question as well? I oh, respect...
1: Those, those damn androids need to show some respect. <laughs> All right, that's sounds personal, but okay. <laughs> this program. Oh, androids! hate them. <laughs> I've never liked androids. It's an accident with a Roomba.
2: <laughs> he took his foot off. <laughs> oh yeah! Lost Terrible. the toe. Lost the toe. Who was he? Is
1: he an engineer? <laughs> is that lieutenant lost the toe? No, anymore. He's dead, Colin. Oh, yeah. okay. Pickard wonders how Data could have a virtual encyclopedia of human knowledge and not know the word Snoop. Data postulates that it may be because it's an aspect of human behavior he was not made to emulate. And Pickard explains what it means. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, Diana senses a powerful mind.
2: I'm glad that they, they dropped this after a while as well. I mean yeah what, it, it happens a lot stuff? yeah it happens a lot doesn't it to start with and it's all completely yeah. useless information as well
1: <laughs> yeah she, she yeah it reminds me and I don't know if I'm remembering this incorrectly but I'm pretty sure this is right there is a film called Species and I think Alfred Molina isn't he yeah I think you're right yeah he he, he he's a telepath right yeah. Yep. And isn't there a scene where they go into a room, I don't know if it's on a train or it's a room, and it's absolutely covered in blood. <laughs> like the place is just blood everywhere. And he goes, mm-hmm, I think something terrible has happened here. <laughs> and I remember just everybody bursting out <laughs> laughing. In this it's that level of telepathy." Yeah,
2: it's like having a degree in being able to state the bleeding obvious, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the red alert sounds and an alien barrier forms around the Enterprise. Picard shouts to turn off that damn noise and go to yellow alert. Shields and deflectors are raised. Picard orders the Enterprise to stop. Lieutenant Torres at the con responds. In a flash of light, an alien appears on the bridge, dressed like a Spanish conquistador. Thou art notified that thy kind have infiltrated the galaxy too far already. Thou art directed to return to thine own solar system immediately,
2: says the alien. Very good. Very good performance. Thank you. I like very much. John John Delancey's superb, though, is Q, isn't he? Yeah, I
1: mean, that's the reason that Q comes back all the time. It's because of him. Yeah.
2: Did you notice that... uh, I've never noticed this before, and I don't know whether it's something that they've added in the remasters, but... Um, when he speaks in this episode, he's got kind of an echo to his voice. Oh, I don't think I noticed. Yeah, it echoes when he talks, like he's a powerful oh. being, you know, When he's... Did you he drop that later? Was that your,
1: was, was that your powerful being impression? He was, yes.
2: Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. People, right, it, right. Funnily, people couldn't see it, though, so, you know, he's was wasted. Oh, all right. But you saw it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're
2: wasted. I know.
1: Picard asked the alien to identify itself. He refills himself to be cute, but doesn't speak in the singular Two security officers arrive, but Q places a barrier across the turbo lift door. Q tells the crew that they should go back whence they came. Lieutenant Tara steps forward with a Type One phaser, but Q freezes him. He falls to the ground.
2: Did Did you know? D- did you notice that he took that phaser from under the console? No, I
1: didn't. He's like a, like a man in a bar. yeah. He's got like a shotgun <laughs> yeah. under the bird. <laughs> <laughs> so if so if they all got type one phases, this Pickard got one under his seat. That's
2: an interesting thing, isn't it? It, it never comes up ever again. He's got a little, he yeah. a, a little slot underneath, and he pulls it out from under the phase. It's very subtle. He's got a little slot. He's got a little slot. What under slot. Oh, okay, all
1: right, yeah. Can you imagine like like Riker's doing something, and Pickard just slowly reaches <laughs> under the chair and he's going like, "You're annoying me, Riker. Don't make me. <laughs> don't make me reach for the type one." <laughs>
2: It 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 makes sense though that they would put them in yeah. places where they needed yeah. them.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm happy with mm-hmm. it. Pickard orders data to call for medics. Data doesn't use his com badge or speak. He just presses some mm-hmm. buttons. Now let's talk about communication and oh, Star yeah. <laughs> So, how do these badges work? So you 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 you're on a planet. You hit the badge and you say. Riker to Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Where's that message going to the bridge?
2: Yeah, because if you don't specifically say a person, it's not going to go to a particular combat, is it? It'll just go to the bridge.
1: It'll just some guy in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why are you calling me? <laughs> so you go Riker to Picard. Mm-hmm. So if you're saying the specific person, I assume it goes to the combat. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay. But there's no privacy. No, because I
2: presume
1: that the sound's so, coming right, out of the combat, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So so Riker goes, I don't know. He goes, uh, Riker to uh, Lafarge, and Lafarge goes, Lafarge, and Riker goes, Have you, have you seen what Diana's wearing today? <laughs> and he's like, mm, She's 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 right next to me, right next to me. <laughs> you know, there's not so. How does that work? And then people don't. Do they? Sometimes they double tap to turn off yeah. the badge. Sometimes they don't mm-hmm. bother. I. I so I, I just, if they don't bother, they're like, yeah. He's like, all right, yeah, Captain, got it. Oh, I need a shit. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, to wreck record, your badge is still on. but Come badge, come, come
2: badge still it's on. It's like when you go for a pee in the middle of us recording and you, you leave your uh, Bluetooth,
1: <laughs> Bluetooth
2: things on. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, but then I'm always singing
2: that is true. You know,
1: the French national anthem. That is true. When the, when our listeners just
2: don't get that side of it, do they?
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to probably lack of direction and people remembering how they're supposed to work and they just just don't do it. Right. Which is why I think the communicators in the original series were a better idea because you you actually have to flip them open and then close them when you're finished. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, although there's no privacy on those either.
2: No, but you're not going to (laughs) be... You're not going to be... You're going to take your communicator into the toilet with you, which you haven't got a choice with you when you were in the combat badge. You're not going to take the actual right. physical communicator, the big flip open thing, into the toilet with you, are you?
1: No. Maybe there's a shelf outside the toilets that people just take off the combat badge <laughs> and put it on and then go into the toilet. But the thing is, there's no there's no identifying mark on so How do you know you, how do you, know you picked up, you've up your own one? Up. Mm. Yeah, there's like five all in a row and you're like, oh, which one's mine again? <laughs> Oh, mine's the one with the chip stains on. That's mine. <laughs> Slap it on. It's got, it's, got, it's got mushy peas on it.
2: <laughs> yeah. I had lunch. That's, that's a good point. It fell in, it fell in, my, fell in my fish <laughs> dinner. No, it's a good point. It's a good point. And nobody's ever, ever been able to figure it out. No. All right. Picker points out to Q
1: that the phaser was set on stun. Q says that knowing humans as he does, he wouldn't be captured by them. He tells them to go back, or they will certainly die. Fade to black. It's a good opening, isn't it?
2: It's a really good opening, and we already can see that Picard's a very different kind of captain to Kirk, isn't he, at this point? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's a lot more calm for a star <laughs> mm. under pressure. How do you think Kirk would have handled Q? Fine drop kick and a torn shirt, do you think?
1: yes. Probably, mm-hmm. yeah. It would, have, it would have been one of those where they punch him, but Q just like turns his head slightly with each punch. you <laughs> would be like, do you want to stop doing that? You just
2: hear, stop doing that. <laughs> you, you know he could have also um, spent 20 minutes explaining him the meaning of love,
1: <laughs>
2: how love works.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably. Q, is you don't love anybody and <laughs> nobody loves you.
2: You need to Q.
0: relax, Q.
2: Q's looking at his watch. Going, I've got to get on, mate. Can you hurry up, please? <laughs> there are stars
1: out in the <sighs> galaxy. Each star is a light of life. Actually, Kirk sounds more like like Picard sounds now in modern Star
0: Trek,
2: without the pauses. Well, I mean, that's the whole. Yeah, that's a whole different kettle of fish. (laughs) Yeah, we'll leave that one. Well,
1: really, do I leave it because let's talk about the three stages of Picard? Okay, go on. So here we, in this pilot episode, we have the first stage of Picard: shouty and abrupt, not overly friendly with his crew, almost like he's a captain on an Elizabethan sailing ship.
2: That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Then we have the second stage, which we see in later episodes and seasons, where he's more relaxed, not so distant from his crew, yet still maintaining authority. Mm-hmm. Finally, we have the third stage that we see now in the series Picard, which is that of a bewildered old man who stepped into a supermarket to buy some mints and has found himself in the baby aisle stirring up wet wipes, but has no memory of how he got there or what he went into the supermarket for in the first place.
2: <laughs> that, is, that is all true yes <laughs> it's quite sad really isn't it yes it is yeah I, I choose and I know that, that do you? you don't swallow <laughs> I choose very good uh, <laughs> oh he's on four for this hundredth episode I like this um, no I, I choose to believe and, and, and other people have said this I choose to believe that, that Picard isn't canon. It's not for me. It's not. Okay. No, no. this is no, he's not the same man. Right. He's a completely different character. <laughs> completely different. So a question,
1: a question for the end of our second episode, or second part of this episode is: Has Picard ruined Star Trek: The Next Generation for you? So think about it.
2: All Get right, I'll back think to about me it. Yes. In three weeks. Okay, we'll do. Yeah.
1: We reopen with a log entry. Ugh. Captain's log. Supplementary. The frozen farm of Lieutenant Torres has been rushed to sickbay. The question now is the incredible power of the Q-Being. Do we dare oppose it? Q talks about how quickly the centuries go by and wonders if the humans would respond better to this. He changes into a US military uniform from around the 1960s. Clearly the issue at stake is patriotism. Clearly you must return to your world and put an end to the commies. Picard points out that that nonsense was centuries behind them. Q says that Picard can't deny that humans are still a childish, savage race. Pickard does deny it. Sure, back then, hundreds of years ago. Yeah, and he does it like that too. He goes,
0: sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, wave of the air.
2: Or hundreds hundreds of years ago. In an episode with some very interesting acting choices from a lot of the cast, that would have been an interesting choice.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. But back then, hundreds of years ago, but not now. Even then, they had started to make rapid progress. Hugh responds, Oh, you want to review your rapid progress? He transforms into a soldier of the late 21st century to where humans learn to control those soldiers with drugs. Warf... Is he Charles Manson, though? (laughs) 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 Warf interjects to the captain that Lieutenant Taurus' condition is better. Q box him, and Warf asks for permission to clean up the bridge. Security Chief Tasha jumps in, stating that she can't just stand there and let... But Picard says, yes, you can, Lieutenant. Yeah. So one of the problems with this is we have Tashia and Wav, mm-hmm. who are essentially the same character. Yeah. In some ways. Yes. They do the same thing. hmm One one needed to go.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one
1: uh, it was not a it's not a great idea.
2: Denise Crosby clearly doesn't quite know what she's doing at times, or how she's going to approach the character because some of her acting choices are very strange
1: yeah that was a problem a lot of the actors had on the pilot episode Gates McFadden had to redub some of her lines because in this her first scene was the one in the shopping mall area and she plays it irritated because she didn't know what the character was or anything about it Mm -hmm. and then later on in post production she'd realised it and they let her go back and redo her lines Marina Sirtis is embarrassed by her performance in this episode again because she just didn't have a feel for the character.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so yeah, there's you a lot can of that going it. on. Even Patrick Stewart at times feels like he's he's still kind of find his way. There, there is yeah. a really good scene that's going to come up towards the end of this first part um, that feels like it's clicked for him a little bit. But we'll talk about that, and I'm sure you, you you probably feel the same way about that scene as well.
1: Q continues with his history lesson that humans went into space and humans found enemies to fight out the same old story all over again. No, says Picard, the same old story as the one we're meeting now. Self-righteous life-forms who are eager not to learn but to prosecute, to judge anything they don't understand or tolerate. Q uses this as an idea. Prosecute and judge. What if they know the humans only too well? Picker says they have no fear of the true facts about them. Q tells him that the next time they meet, they will proceed exactly as Picard suggests, and vanishes in light. Worf says the only thing to do is fight, and Tasha agrees, fight or escape. Pickard turns to Diana. Sense anything, Counselor. <laughs> but Q's mind is too powerful, and all she can suggest is avoid contact. <laughs> yes.
2: Mm. Top He's draw spoke. stuff there from Troy. Well <laughs> done. <laughs>
1: because like i think we should renegotiate having a counselor on the bridge
2: <laughs> I, I think that by the end of this episode he'll be getting a, a few resumes and, and check it over them before before <laughs> yeah. he continues i think
1: so yeah <laughs> is, that, is that i must remember to vet my bridge crew correctly yes
2: <laughs> although so, at least at least he does know the background of his bridge crew unlike um Captain Pike in Strange New Worlds, who doesn't know anything about his bridge crew before he gets on oh, the yeah, Oh, no, yeah, true. Yeah.
1: true, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. Pickard the the crew that no station aboard should use any transmitted signals. He wants to take the queue by surprise. Let's see what this Galaxy-class starship can do. He tells engineering to prepare for maximum warp. He's going to detach the saucer section, which data says is not recommended at that speed. And we should point out that we don't seem to have a chief engineer
2: at this point. We don't, do we? No, no.
1: no and, uh, and La Forge
2: memory... is uh, bridge crew, and if memory, ser- I don't think uh, LaForge becomes chief engineer until the second season, does he? Right, uh, no. I think that's right. Yeah. And I, and I, if memory serves, throughout the first season, they seem to have different chief engineers all the time. Yeah, there's a bearded dude at one point. There's uh... a lot, there's a fat bearded dude. There's a there's another guy who takes over command briefly in the episode where Crusher and Picard get trapped in a in a cave on a planet, right? And they do. I think they do a source of in that, and they he kind of butts heads a bit with the Forge. Um, so yeah, they have a few. Is yeah. it are they, is it like the drummer in Spinal Tap? Does he keep exploding, and you have to keep getting a new one?
1: Yeah, maybe, mm. maybe. Yeah. We cut to engineering, and then back to the bridge. It was just like I think that again. That's one of those filler shots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Picard orders everybody ready. Engage. The Enterprise makes a tight turn, but the barrier forms a ball and starts to chase the ship. They're heading at warp 9.2, but the alien is still chasing them and accelerating. Picard turns to Diana to help him understand. Using her telepathic powers, he can pull some new knowledge that he could use to defeat the Q. He wants to know what they're dealing with, she said. It's beyond what they know as a life form." Very, very advanced, or very, very different. Again. Genuinely what she says. I know, I
2: know. Again, great work there, Troy. Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) And then at which point, Pickhead reaches onto his chair for the Type 1 phaser.
2: (laughs) What what are you doing, Captain? (laughs) Nothing, nothing. No, man, you won't feel a thing. No, that's what you always say, Colin.
1: Hey, watch it. (laughs) I I sometimes say that too. Yes. They they put the alien ball on screen and they can see it accelerated towards them. They're not outrunning it. Picard orders yellow alert and arms photon torpedoes. He orders an emergency saucer sep. Yes.
2: I don't I don't like that. No SEP. No. I don't I, it it feels wrong that, that Picard is using a contraction like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Oh. Feels American. Oh. Feels American, doesn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, not happy about that. He tells Worf that he'll be commanding the saucer section, which will take families out of danger, and that Picard will take command of the battle bridge. Worf protests. A Klingon doesn't run away. Picard reminds him that he's a Starfleet officer and will do as he's told. In modern Trek, Worf would whine about it, cry and stamp his feet until the captain gives up and lets him do whatever he wants.
2: (laughs) yes. That that is another um, problem with modern track. There doesn't seem to be any kind of respect for command anymore.
1: No, there's no rank there's or no. hierarchy. People just do what they want, mm. whether when they want to and do.
2: Oh, it. I
1: mean, it's just they just do it because they feel it's right. Yeah, feel, there's that f- word "feel" again? F-fe- feelings. It it, it always used, the
2: major- it always used to amuse me as well that in this bit where when they change positions, you know they they you know when when Worf takes command of of. of the main bridge and they they the rest go to the, um they do it in a very sort of um it, it's almost like they're the they're casually strolling around without a care in the world they just walk very slowly towards the lift right and they do a little bit of like right. a, like a changeover don't they like a military kind of changeover yeah. and it's only as i got older that i realized that that is probably how trained personnel behave in a crisis isn't it very calm yeah, and orderly orderly yeah, yeah. So I, I yeah, like don't it now.
1: Panic. Yeah, I like don't it. Don't scream, mm-hmm. don't shout.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Because they're trained. There was a lot of pushback at first as well about having a Klingon on the show, wasn't there? A lot of fans didn't like
1: it. Uh, yeah, but he, he wouldn't
2: leave, he he really cling on to staying.
1: Really? <laughs>
2: really? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, really. I think that's a sixty really. year old. Sorry.
1: <laughs> the minute you say cling I saw it. I had to go for that. <laughs>
2: Although you know that that uh, DC comic series that I told you about that I used to read in the eighties, they they preceded this by actually having an original, like in the original cast because it was it was set during um, or during or after Star Trek IV. This this comic book series, mm. and they introduced a Klingon Federation officer before TNG did. So I'm wondering whether they were mm. aware of that and, and thought, oh, that's a good idea. Um, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> did Star
1: Trek stealing from Star Trek literature. Yeah.
2: Did, did you? I had to laugh at Troy's face when Picard steps into the turbo lift. She looks thoroughly bored by everything <laughs> that's going on.
1: Well, she's got so many senses
2: going Has on. Has she? Is that what's going on? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah
1: they're very, very different. Okay, yeah, so she's focusing on that. We see the majority of the ship's company moving to the saucer section, the skeleton. Bridge crew take command of the main section to head back to the hostile entity. And here we see Col Meany at the comms.
2: We do. We also get a shot of the infamous uh, skirt uniform on the uh, male officer as he's walking through the corridor as well. Gotta say, it looks comfy. I reckon that I could rock that outfit, Colin. Don't you? Oh, God.
1: No, no, no. The, the, those legs. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, give me a second, Paul. You get, you're going to have to do some editing here because I'm going to be violently
2: sick. <laughs> Nothing wrong with my legs. They're perfectly fine legs. Look, I'll show you. <laughs> no, no, no. don't want to see him. don't want to see him. We don't see that uniform very often, do we? They kind of lose it. No, it's a shame. Mm.
1: It does look comfy, though, it doesn't does. it? On a hot day, that would be quite nice, mm. wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, no underwear. Free! He's just running, jumping, skipping down the corridor, going free. (laughs) Twirling his skirt. I'm so free. (laughs) Look at me. I can dance, I can sing. I'm so
2: happy. Giving a whole new meaning to the term hanging out on the Enterprise. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Picard orders torpedoes fire backwards towards the hostile entity to blind it to cover up the separation. The separation begins. I like how Enterprise is written on the underside of the saucer section where it normally joins the fuselage. Is that because if you've got more than one separated galaxy-class ship, you know which saucer (laughs) section belongs to which fuselage? (laughs) In case you've accidentally parked them in the wrong place.
2: No, Yeah, I never thought of that. And I don't think... I've never noticed that before,
1: either. Uh,
2: He's like, why, why is... Picard walks into he's they're
1: separated, they've gone back. Picard walks into his cabin. it's all in pink. He's like, oh, I've got the, ex- this is the Excelsior saucer section.
2: I have to do another separation. Go find it. It's a very cool moment, though, the first time you see it separate, isn't it? Yeah, because we get the theme tune mm-hmm. playing as well. Apparently Kirk's Enterprise yeah. could do the same thing in the original series, but budgetary, they could never do now,
1: it. I've heard this. Is that true? Did they think of that at the time, or is this just retro?
2: I think in the book, the making of Star Trek, that came out in the seventies, they mention it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. It's in the Bible that they wrote for for the original series. I don't think <laughs> it's in the Bible, Paul. And <laughs> God commanded.
1: <laughs> is it Corinthians?
2: <laughs> Thou
1: source the separation. Yeah, it was.
2: It was burned into the tablets that Moses brought down. Yeah. It was, was it?
1: Was it? Yeah. No,
2: it's, it's written in the. <laughs> you must not. You must not steal thy neighbor's ox. <laughs> Thou must not separate Saucer at warp
1: speed. <laughs>
2: no, it's written. It's written in 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 the Bible that they wrote for the original series. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool.
1: So the battle bridge heads back towards the alien, then stops. We'll wait for them here. Diana remarks, "But that will bring them to us in just minutes, sir." W- was she asleep during the briefing? <laughs>
2: She, well, oh, it's, it's useless, isn't it? Because that's just the whole plan. Why, why does Diana um, get a seat on on the bridge? I mean, she's the ship's I assume counselor because,
1: yeah, now I would assume it's because she's mm. see, I would assume she's there if they're going to, if you're going to like speak to an mm. alien, you would have her on mm-hmm. the bridge, but she doesn't need to be there all the time. She, uh, Her duty should be in her office counselling the crew.
2: Exactly. Would, would you want to be doing your job with your therapist behind you watching everything that you do? No. Exactly. <laughs> but
1: but I guess like her, he would have called her once they encountered the barrier. That's when she should have come to the bridge. Yeah. Although, why does she have to come to the bridge? Because she's sensing from... She hmm. doesn't need to be... I mean, you not closer just because you're in the bridge, are you? But
2: I suppose it's easier to talk to him. Uh, yeah, I suppose visually as well it works better, doesn't it? It makes more sense. I shit this
1: show, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it ruined it for me. Yeah, close it up, we're done. Yeah, we're done. So Tasha wants to fight. Picard reminds her about the power of the entity. She thinks for a bit and says she was wrong that they should try to distract the alien from going after the saucer section. I like that little section.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's good. Yeah.
2: or he's like, you know, think about it. Mm-hmm. He's a big bloke, this Q. Yeah, which leads into why he does what he does in a moment.
1: Yeah. So, Picardard does a surrender to be announced on all languages, on all frequencies. Although, why all languages? Because Q obviously speaks English because he's met him. Well,
2: yeah. But you've got to be sure, sure, haven't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you surrender and do it properly.
2: So I'm guessing that the his idea behind this surrender is that um, there's no point in fighting, so just play along and look for an opportunity later, perhaps.
1: Well, and buy time for the saucer section. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This this is a terrible first day on the job, isn't it? He could have had better, really. Yeah, just easy in. Like, have you had a day this bad? First day of the job. Usually it's it's like you can't get your password to work on your computer, right? Yes. That's as bad as it gets. <laughs> you don't suddenly meet an alien entity that's about to kill you all. That's a really bad first that day. That is a bad
2: first day,
1: yes. Yeah. yeah. The alien reaches them and the barrier forms again around the ship. There's a flash of light, a Picard, data, Diana. Appear to be in some kind of futuristic but medieval courtroom with a baying crowd around them. So, this means Miles is left alone on the bridge. He must be thinking it's his luckiest fucking
2: day ever. We'll, <laughs> we'll get to that when they come back. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, I'm still unsure about that scene. We'll talk about it. All that. right. A man acting like a court usher orders that all prisoners must stand. Pickard sits, and Tasha follows his lead.
2: Yes, she does. I'd, I'd never thought about that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like that.
1: Data finds the surroundings historically interesting. A pick ad recognises it as being
2: mid-21st century, the post-atomic horror. I never really buy that this is meant to be Earth at some point in the past. I mean, I get that it's post-apocalyptic, but it just feels a bit too alien to be, to be Earth. But it, it's, well, it, it's not,
1: uh, it was futuristic for us. It's mid-21st.
2: No, 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 I get that, yeah, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel Earth-like. And and are you telling me that, that... so when is Enterprise set? Enterprise is set in... 21st century, 23-something. No, it's not, not Enterprise. Oh, uh, sorry, Enterprise, sorry, yes, go on. It's set in 22-something, isn't it? I think so, yeah. So, in less than 100 years, they go from this to what the world's like in Enterprise. Yeah. Okay, all right. Seems a bit hard to believe, but okay. <laughs> well, there you go. wife
1: right. is her to believe, part. You're telling me. The usher orders everybody to rise for the honourable judge. Diana points out they should heed caution, as this is no
2: illusion, but it's real. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you something about that
1: in a minute as well. Oh, all right. A soldier orders the criminals to their feet and fires his gun in the air. Q appears sitting on a throne that glides through here on a large arm. He's the judge. The soldier steps out and orders Picard and the other side of feet. He fires into the ground. Tasha loses her ship completely and kicks him in the chest and knocks him down. Q says, you are out of order, but not to Tasha, to the guard. Another soldier steps forward and fires at the fallen guard, killing him. The audience cheer. The prisoners shall not be harmed until they are found guilty. utters Q. Can we assume you meant that this will be a fair trial? Asks Picard. Yes, responds Q. Absolutely equitable. Picard motions to
2: Tasha to sit down. That chair's a bit wibbly wobbly when it when it comes out, isn't it? You say it glides. I... It doesn't particularly glide very well, does it?
1: No, and I, I can't figure out if it's supposed to be floating and that, that you can see the arm is a mistake mm-hmm. or whether it is actually on an arm and that's okay.
2: Yeah. If it's on an arm, then yeah, I can I'll buy it, because it's just a mechanical device, right. isn't it? It just looks a bit yeah. it just looks a bit weird when it comes out. You
1: would think you would be able to create a
2: floating chair. Yes, and that's why I'm gonna ask you a question in a minute. Um and, and right. Yara herself, she doesn't behave particularly professionally, does she? <laughs>
1: No, no, no. She she just yeah, she reacts all the time mm-hmm. angrily. She's always angry.
2: Yeah, but she she calms down in like in the rest of the first series, doesn't she?
1: Yeah, they they kind of get it right. Yeah. It's just it's still one one character too many on the bridge.
2: It is, and we her one episode which is centered around her you can't really talk about it anymore, can you, Code of Honor? It's, oh, no, that's right. It's yeah, kind of problematic dodgy. that episode, isn't it? <laughs>
1: For many yep, reasons. Absolutely. Yep. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation.
2: Now art directed to return to thine own solar system immediately.
1: A hostile alien threatens the Enterprise. Our only choice is to fight.
0: Fight or try to escape. But despite their efforts to challenge its power, The crew is trapped. We surrender. And forced to stand trial for the crimes of mankind. On Star Trek, The Next Generation.
2: So the charges are read out, basically amounting to accusing humanity of being a dangerously savage child race. Data objects, stating that in 2036 a law was passed stating that no Earth citizen could be forced to answer for the crimes of his forebears. to which Q counters that this is a court of 2079 and that all that nonsense had been abolished. So jog on, Goldie. <laughs> Is that what he says? That's what he says, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and yeah.
2: Who, who are these four birds? <laughs> We've had I mean, one of them in the, in the show before. Do you remember? In a, in a oh, that's podcast. right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And if you haven't listened to that episode, that could be completely meaningless to... <laughs>
1: No, but Nobody would listen to the 100th and not listen to the other 99 episodes, Paul. That's true. That's true. And if, and if you foolish.
2: did, there's obviously something wrong with you, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, once again showing... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially, yeah. 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 Once again showing the restraint and cool head in this that clearly got her the job in the Enterprise in the first place, launches into a speech about how she comes from a world where things like this, courts, were commonplace. And it was Starfleet and people like these that saved her from it.
1: Oh, do you think there's something ironic about Starfleet Human Resources? That they chose the most violent, unstable person to be security chief? <laughs> do you think they were interviewing and they were like, oh yeah, oh, yeah, 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 let's do that. It was a long day. They're just interviewing hundreds and they're like, oh, come on, this, we need a bit of fun.
2: Choose her. Did, She's nuts. Did you notice that? Uh, when she gets up and starts to deliver this, Picard tries to stop her at first and then he kind of just sort of like gives in he, he, he kind of raises his arm and says no Nat-. he calls him Natasha as well. there's no Natasha and then kind of like goes, oh fuck it <laughs> <laughs> no, he's like, Again he's like first day on the job yeah. <laughs> Q leans forward menacingly and with a gesture freezes her solid. Oh, no, Wait. says Picard. Wait. Well, hold on. I didn't see a jester. <laughs> I he like nonny-nonny
1: with a big <laughs> stick and some bells. I would not be surprised. This courtroom needs a jester.
2: <laughs> gesture, gesture. Oh, okay, sorry. He freezes a solid. Oh, no, says Picard. Not Tasha, you nasty omnipotent being you. No, he's very thinking, hold on. So that's two crewmen I've
1: got frozen mm-hmm. on my first day. <laughs> How many frozen crew persons do I have to have before they remove me as captain of the Enterprise? <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the quota?
2: <laughs> he's lucky that he's, he's out in the middle of nowhere, really, isn't
1: he? Yeah, they're like, oh, you need to locate us. You need to find us. Oh, more like us. all these people that are frozen. <laughs>
2: Actually, what happens is Picard goes into full Shakespearean mode and demands that Q promises that the prisoners would not be harmed, be upheld. Q tries to wriggle out of it, mm-hmm. but Picard calls him out on it, telling him that he's afraid that if he commits a fur trial, Q is afraid that he could lose. Is that fur trial? Is that with clowns? And That's the one. You, you said fur okay. as well, actually. <laughs> yeah. Q says that it's a merciful court, and he thaws out yeah. Yay, everyone says. <laughs> the crowd erupts in anger, but Q glares at them and orders silence. So this is my question. Mm. Is this place a facsimile that Q has conjured up? Or is it real in terms of uh, a kind of a time travely thing?
1: No, 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 Paul. Oh, dear. Gosh, what a shame. All right. So... It's the real people, everything's real, but it's not actually taking place at that point in history. But it's not an illusion. There's no holograms mm-hmm. or anything like that. Everything is real, but it is not taking place on Earth but during that period. So it's all created it is by a, Q. It's a creation by Q. Okay.
2: The reason why but I it's ask... It's on
1: Spatial Bubble.
2: The reason why I ask is because Q's in Picard, the series. Mm-hmm. And he sends them back in time, and they throw the line out. Oh, is this just a creation of Q? This, this right. alternate reality that they end up in. And Picard somehow knows it's not, that, they've, that they're in an actual reality and Q's moved time around. Which is why I ask about this.
1: Oh, he's borrowed Diana's telepathy? Yes. He okay. just knows.
2: Hmm. Oh, okay. Right. Q tells Picard that this is a court of fact and he won't stand for any legal trickery. Picard tells him that we humans recognise our past, even when we're ashamed of it, using a line from Shakespeare to describe it, kill all the lawyers. I wonder if Picard's love of Shakespeare was always in the script, or it was added once they cast Patrick Stewart.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. once they realised he was a Shakespearean mm-hmm. actor, and mm-hmm. they thought, oh, we could use that. I remember. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, apparently Paul's had a heart attack. He's clutching his chest. He's keeling over. He's got a funny collar. Well, I'll just continue the podcast. No, I'm back, I'm back. It's the way you always wanted it, people.
2: (laughs) The 100th episode, finally. (laughs) Solo. Take it over. No, remember, remember, he's an unknown British Shakespearean actor. I
1: thought he was going to do, like, the 5th of November then for a second.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Because... Picard then reads the charges from a tablet, saying that he sees no charges aimed at themselves specifically. Q, clearly miffed that Picard is refusing to play his game, orders two guards to aim their weapons at Data and Troy's heads, telling them to pull their triggers if Picard answers with anything other than guilty.
1: Ah, that's an interesting trial.
2: Mm, I mean, I'm not going to agree that we we could do with some of that these days, but... Oh my
1: God, where do you go to write one on me for,
2: big, big Daily Mail reader?
1: <laughs> a Daily Mail reader. Well, you don't read it, you just look at pictures, right? I wouldn't wipe my ass on the Daily Mail. Well, why would you be writing your ass on newspaper? You're not that part, you could afford <laughs> a toilet paper. That'd be it's a weird figure, thing to do. A
2: figure of, a, of speech, Colin. you got it
1: all cut Isn't into squares yes. down at the old toilet <laughs> at the back of your garden. I mean, like I know you're up. northern, Paul, but come on.
2: <laughs> hey, up. Oh. Don't live up a stereotype. <laughs> Forced into a tight spot, Picard reluctantly pleads guilty, but provisional. So, so is that toilet
1: paper. He, he
2: then... You're wasted, colleague. You really are. I'm not. I've already had one. <laughs> <laughs> he then tries to use Data's weird playback function to use Q's own words against him regarding yeah, his insistence that it would be a third We don't see that rotter.
1: too often. No, it's they
2: occasionally though. Mm, yeah, but Q waves it away. Finally, Picard admits that there is evidence that humans have been savage, but he then asks Q to test them and his crew to see if that is still true of humans. It's slightly racist. I mean, there's not just humans on the Enterprise, is there? Although, if you were a Vulcan or an Andorian, you'd be looking for the nearest escape pod at this point, wouldn't you? Like, don't lump me in with that lot. <laughs> I'm that just to to work. Just be for them, them
1: left on the Enterprise.
2: Yeah. I haven't thought about that before, Paul. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Also, you can see that Patrick Stewart's still finding his way with the character as well in this whole section. I mean, he's incredibly emotional at times in this. And that's not Picard later, is it? In fact, he's he's the opposite of that. Although, (laughs) sorry to keep mentioning it, but in, in Star Trek Picard, he's all about the feelings. Q loves this idea and he tells Picard that there'll be ample room for testing them on their next mission to Fairpoint Station. Q adjourns the court, and he wobbles his way back out, stating as he goes that, Captain, you may find that you are not nearly clever enough to deal with what lies ahead. Fuck you, replies Picard. Oh, no, I don't remember that bit, Paul. <laughs> no, We're he making doesn't. that bit up. He doesn't say that. With a flash, everyone is transported back to the battle bridge, and either time has passed, <laughs> uh, Either Tom hasn't moved or or Brian is the least observant member of Starfleet that you've ever had. I I like to assume that
1: he's so bored and uninterested in the people around him that he couldn't give the slightest shit that they've been gone for, like, hours. (laughs) Because, yeah, they reappear and he's just like... Still typing away. And then he just kind of goes... Looks around. Like, why didn't they do a line where, like, Picard goes says something like, did anything happen while we we're away? And he goes, yeah. away, sir? Yeah. But uh, it doesn't. It's just, it's just like, <laughs> I just assumed that he so just couldn't give. Because he's a transporter guy. He's Ooh. like, I hate this con crap. It's boring. And then everyone disappears. He's listening to music. Didn't notice. Got headphones <laughs>
2: in. It's like, la, 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 la. Why should he care anyway? I mean, they haven't even been bothered to learn his name.
1: That's true, Mm. yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's like, I don't think
1: I'm here. (laughs) So why should I I pretend?
2: (laughs) No one cares. So O'Brien asks them if anyone knows anything about Firepoint Station as he thinks it sounds like a dull place. And you're right, he looks thoroughly bored, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh, we've heard that we may find it rather interesting, replies Picard.
1: Oh, yeah, Captain, where'd you hear that? Well, I was just taken by, and then, oh, really? When did that happen? (laughs) I'll show you the video after. It'll miss out the interesting bits.
2: (laughs) Riker's going to watch it. So we cut to Fairpoint Station and a log entry by William Riker. I nearly said William Shatner then.
1: William T. Riker.
2: William T. Riker, yes. Do you think the T was added because it sounds a bit like James T. Kirk?
1: I assume it's William Tactical Riker.
2: Well, R- Riker is kind of a... Because he's tactical with the ladies. He is. He, well, he does that manoeuvre with that chair whenever he sits down, doesn't he? That's because he has a bad back, right? It is, yeah. And that's why whenever he the one whenever he talks to anyone who's at con or ups, he, he puts one foot up onto the, the side bit
1: because it takes the pressure off his I guess back. It, if you've got a bad back and you're standing up like 12 hours a day... Mm. And he's very rigid when he stands up as well, isn't he? Yeah. Do you ever notice, though, the Riker manoeuvre... When he exits a room into a corridor, there's always, like, a female crewman walking past. He always does a quick glance at yeah. her, like he's looking at a bottle. He always checks her out, does the doesn't other he? Way. Yeah.
2: He always checks her out, yeah, always. That's got to be a thing that he just mm. added himself, isn't it?
1: Naughty Riker.
2: <laughs> Sl- slap on the wrist. <laughs> yeah. Personal log, Commander William Riker, stardate 41153.7. I've always wanted to do this. That's me saying that. Oh, is that, that would be a <laughs> <laughs> win. Riker, Riker's log. He's like, oh, I've always wanted to do this. <laughs> the USS Hood has dropped me off. Delete. <laughs> do it again. <laughs> <laughs> just, just one for the friends. Don't spoil it for me. The, U- the USS Hood has dropped me off at Fairpoint Station. He sounds very Northern Riker as well, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he
1: does. It's weird. He's dropped me the off. USS Hood, yeah. Hood has, has dropped me off on Planet. I'm stopping off. <laughs> oh, I'm stopping off for a fish supper on the way home. <laughs> yeah, drop me badge in it. Yeah. <laughs> Not again.
2: Has dropped me off at Fairpoint Station. Where I await the arrival of the new USS Enterprise, to which I have been assigned as first officer. Meanwhile, I've been asked to visit the Farpoint Administrator's office in the Old City.
1: Mm, most insincere-sounding log I've ever heard, Thank you.
2: I was, that's what I was going for. Ah. And, and we see a shot of the hood um, as it as it flies away uh, from um, the planet, don't we? And it's the uh, Excelsior model, isn't
1: we it? We see the back of it, too. And, and the trunk. <laughs> and we see the the boot and we see the sides (laughs) not just the hood we see the whole damn ship
2: we do do. and it's the excelsior model isn't it from the movies yes we see an establishing shot of the station on the planet and it looks like a gleaming spire surrounded by desert with an old city by the side of it ah right Riker is walking through what looks like an old tunnel and he reaches doors that open allowing him into the administrator's office he's an older man with long grey hair and he's dressed in robes and his name is Groppler Zorn. That's a great name for a pro wrestler. Groppler mm-hmm. Zorn? Yeah. It would be, yeah. And in the red carter, it's Groppler Zorn. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going to need another career after the end of this episode anyway, so he might as well.
1: He is, yeah.
2: They talk, and Zorn asks if his accommodations have been comfortable. Luxurious, replies Riker. That's steady, yeah. Yeah. How many stairs on Airbnb, mate? (laughs) He then tries to pump Zorn for information on the advanced materials used to build the station, and that it fascinates him that they constructed it so quickly and so well suited to their needs. He keeps calling it a space station, though. It's not a space station, is it?
1: No, it's not. It's not in space.
2: It's just a big shopping mall, is what it is. (laughs) Yeah, it is, yeah, basically. Zorn is a bit on the shifty side, and he distracts him by offering him some fruit. Riker looks for an apple, but not seeing one, he he declines. But suddenly he notices a second bowl of just apples on the desk, which he swears wasn't there before. Mm. Zorn hastily asks him if his failure to notice it makes it any more unwelcome. Not at all, replies Riker, taking a huge bite out of it, saying, delicious of the most disgusting-looking
1: apple I've ever seen. I mean, it looks like it's smeared in wax. Yeah, it doesn't look real,
2: does it? No. no it looks horrible. I remember as a kid that we used to have one of those fake fruit bowls on, on like the uh, dinner table, in the centre of the dinner table. Look looked like that. You know they used to do that here? They put petroleum wax on
1: apples to make them look shiny. Really?
2: That can't be good for you, can it? No. You have to clean it up. I I do remember as a kid licking one just to see what it tastes like. What? A petroleum wax? A a a wax apple and a bowl of wax fruit. (laughs) You licked a wax apple? I did, yes.
1: Was this when you were in that special school? (laughs) The one where they didn't let you have sharp (laughs) objects? We we said we'd never speak of that. Oh, that that, that boy again, he just licks wax objects. Tasty I just wanted... let him go. He's happy. He's
2: happy. Look at him. Look at his cheery little fat face. It, it looked... I wasn't fat then. It looked it looked nice, and I wanted to know what it tasted like. I wanted to see if it tasted like a real apple. Did it?
1: No. Oh, what a disappointment. Do you know how it tasted? Um, let me think. I'm guessing it tasted waxy. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Tasted tasted a little karate kid. <laughs> Wax on,
2: wax off. All right, steady on. You Spent a lot of time waxing off, didn't you? Zorn then appears to address Thinner angrily, saying that you've been told not to do that. It could arouse suspicion, and if that happens, we will have to punish you. Who is he talking to? You. This, this is how I imagine you
1: are when you're on your own <laughs> in the house, talking to Thinner. It's going. Mm, I'm going to have to punish you again. <laughs> You're going to be punished. Oh, oh,
2: little Arthur, what are you doing? Oh, you dirty, dirty boy. Uh, <laughs> do what, do I turn into Frankie Howard? <laughs> oh! <laughs> well, I can, I can think of worse uh, people to turn into. Titter you not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's you. Uh, that guy reminds me of you on your on. just walking around. And you're wearing a robe, but nothing underneath. Well, that bit's
2: probably right, yeah. Yeah. Mm. In the station itself, which looks a bit like a shopping mall, as we said, Riker meets up with Dr. Beverly Crusher and her son, Wesley.
1: Now, now here's the thing, right? Every, uh, pretty much every actor in Star Trek The Next Generation progressed in their acting ability Mm -hmm. throughout the seasons, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Except for one who seemed to get worse.
2: And who would that be?
1: Oh, Let's think about it. Who could that be? <laughs> he, he, he,
2: we all know who it is, and I've got to say, yeah. he's become infinitely more punchable as he's gotten older.
1: Yes, yeah, amazing, isn't it? He's a, I mean, that's an
2: achievement, I suppose. Yeah, his smugness makes mine pale by comparison, really, doesn't it? Oh well, uh, I wouldn't got that. For that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're, we're, we're not fans let's just no whatever. no
1: i it's weird though because i disliked him in like early star trek next generation and then i kind of like was like oh okay he's all right he's good he's good and now i've gone back to
2: hating him it became a thing though didn't it for a while in 80 shows to have a, a an incredibly brainy kid in the cast I think they did it in. Um, do you remember Sequest? D- was it called Sequest DSV or something like that? DSV, yeah. yes. They had one, yeah. didn't they? But then again, they also yeah, had a talking, did, yeah. a talking um, dolphin, didn't they? Dolphin. Uh, yeah. Yep. Which, yep. which was a better actor than Will Wheaton, funnily enough.
1: Yeah. You know, originally it was supposed to be uh, a woman or a teenage girl, I guess, called Leslie Crusher.
2: That would have been more interesting. It would have been, yeah, yeah. But we're stuck with Will Wheaton, so. Yep, there you go. He strolls with them while they...
1: I bet the the producers of Star Trek said that too. (laughs) After seeing this. (laughs) Yeah, I was stuck with Will Wheaton. He signed a seven-year contract.
2: (laughs) He doesn't stay till the end, though, does he? He goes, doesn't he? Yeah, he Mm. does. Yeah, yeah. He strolls with them while they do some shopping. She's a bit formal with him. And Wes points out that she's just like that with men that she doesn't know. Bev tells her son off and says to Riker... What?
1: <laughs> oh, she's like that with men she doesn't know. If she knew you, she'd be all over you like a rash.
2: <laughs> Bev tells her son off and says to Riker that she hopes that they can be friends, to which he replies that he's very willing. Riker tells Bev about the strange things he's noticed around the station, such as the apple. But she brushes it off, accusing him of trying to brown-nose his new captain. That's basically what she's alluding to, isn't it? Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely, yeah. But then a piece of plain cloth that she was looking at, amusing that gold would look lovely with, suddenly has gold patterns on it when she looks again. Isn't it remarkable that they happen to have exactly what you want, wonders Riker? Yeah. She buys it. Saying that they should charge it to Doctor Crusher, so I thought that money doesn't exist in the twenty fourth century.
1: Well, maybe maybe she's lying. Maybe she just tells the <laughs> aliens, oh, charge it to Doctor Crusher," and then when they come together they, they go to the Enterprise and go, "We have uh, an account for Doctor Crusher," and they're like, "Well, we don't have money and Starfleet, sorry." <laughs> yeah, she's
2: like, "I'll pay. I'll pay it in a week. It'd be fine."
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like it's well I was going I was going to do a story about the British army for uh, were they were they in Cyprus uh during the uh, 60s um they would soldiers would go and buy things and they would have a a, a chit and they wouldn't give money they would sign mm-hmm. a chit and then the shopkeeper would go to the army camp and say we have the chits for this officer or this soldier and then the money would be handed over Except the soldiers were just signed Donald Duck, <laughs> Trigger. So then there'd have to be a roll call, and the officer in charge would have to go with the following soldiers please stand forward. We have chits for you. Um, Private Trigger, <laughs> Corporal Spider Man. And so So maybe it's that kind of could deal. Could be, could well be. Yeah.
2: She says that maybe this is something that Jean-Luc would like looked into. And is it me or does Riker look a bit stressed at the thought that she knows him so well? Like he's thinking, shit, yeah. I best watch what I say in front of her. Good job I didn't open with the line. So when's this baldy twat getting here then? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: didn't realize you were the main squeeze. <laughs> also, like, once you have discovered that if you think of something mm-hmm. and it's appearing, when not you be like, hmm? I wish I had enough money to buy everything in the shopping mall. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I <loved> him. <laughs> like, Buried I in <laughs> coins. <laughs> <Money Yeah. ever>. <laughs> 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 I help. <laughs> Wesley tells Riker that Picard brought his father's body home after he died. They shake hands. Yeah, it wasn't.
1: It <laughs> had be hard to bring it home before, wouldn't <laughs> <haven't> it? <we? laughs> <laughs> <laughs> he brought his body home. Was entombed. Oh he was dead. No, 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 just just brought it home like that. Always drunk, my dad. Picked had to carry him home.
2: <laughs> they shake hands and as they leave, Riker smiles at Wes, telling him, See you on board, unfortunately. Then yeah. Geordie LaForge approaches. He wears a device on his eyes that allows him to see. Glasses? Glasses. <laughs> <laughs> He's been to Specsay Say. What spec with crazy Colin. future is yeah. this? <laughs> he, he begins to talk to Riker, but Riker asks if this is an official report, to which LaForge stiffens oh. to attention and says, oh. Lieutenant LaForge reporting. He tells him that the Enterprise is arriving, but only with the Star Drive section, to which Riker assumes there must have been trouble. Do you think that's a weird little scene? What, with LaForge?
1: Yeah. Like, why, why does Riker get on his case about... Because he's not using a far, the correct authority, and so Riker's asserted himself as officer. My God, it's
2: a good thing that Riker's not an officer on board a modern-day uh, Star Trek <laughs> ship, is it? <laughs> no, he'd have a heart attack. Yeah, he wouldn't be able to cope, would he?
1: No. Yeah, it's almost, it's no, almost like he's exerting
2: like, his authority a bit, isn't it?
1: Yeah, he's like, oh,
2: wait a minute, why does Nurse Chapel outrank Dr. Mabanko? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, um, why is everyone just shouting down the captain every five seconds as well?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: Picard wants Riker to beam up immediately, which he does. We see the star drive section in orbit as Ja meets Riker in the transporter room and escorts him to the battle bridge. Mm-hmm. On, on yeah. the bridge, Riker tries to introduce himself, but Picard doesn't even look at him, just saying that he needs to be brought up to speed on the little adventure that they had on their way here. What's going on here? It's like a lot of power play going on. It is a bit of a power play. It's like I think it's it's Picard trying to get the measure of Riker by testing mm. him a little bit in various mm. ways to see whether he's someone that right. he can respect, you know. Okay. But Riker stands his ground until finally Picard glances around and welcomes him aboard. But it's kind of a it's kind of a tossed off welcome aboard, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Mm. Riker then sits at a station, calls up the episode on Netflix, and watches a previously on Star Trek moment. Minus all yeah, the good but, bits. Yeah. Yeah, minus the, the entire trial, right? But then again, I suppose they wouldn't have that footage, would they? So they can that's only have now. stuff that's filmed on the Enterprise or from outside the Enterprise.
1: Yeah. Well, it's going to be confusing when Pickup mentions the trial and Riker's like, what fucking trial? Yeah. <laughs>
2: Did I fall asleep? You yeah, <laughs> have to what's rewind that, it. What's going is, on? is there a director's cut? It's <laughs> on the extras. When the video finishes, Riker says, he calls that a little adventure. Yeah, and then it lingers too long on does. it. does. It does, doesn't it? It stays yeah. with him for a while, yeah. doesn't it? Trim, trim, trim a little yeah, there, I think. You know. That could have been, again, them trying just to... Pad it out. Yeah. Later, Riker meets Picard in his ready room. They discuss what happened... And then Picard orders Riker to conduct a manual docking with the arriving saucer section. Mm. Riker looks puzzled, but Picard chews him out a little and saying, no, Commander. Yeah. I think Patrick Stewart, this is where I think he's starting to get what he's doing a little bit better because it's really subtle what he's doing. You can see that he's, the way he looks at Riker, you can see that he's trying to get the measure of him. You know, right. um, and it's not—he's not overplaying it either. He's not—he's sh- okay. not shouting yep. for a start, which is, which is yeah. a good thing. <laughs> this is a good show, yeah. So we see the saucer section approaching the star drive, and everyone on the bridge is a little perturbed by the fact that it's going to be done manually. Even Data, which is odd, because he's not got emotion. Well, yeah, but Data's an android. Yeah, but he's not got emotion. He
1: knows humans screw things up
2: would he react would he because kind of, he kind of gives him a look like okay like that doesn't he
1: yeah he's like oh god humans doing
2: this there's a lot of most of them are going to be in the second part aren't they but there's a lot of, of, of times where you can see that Brent Spiner doesn't quite know what he's doing yet
1: hmm. right yeah also Riker's supposed to be doing this manual docking Who who's actually doing this docking <laughs>
2: it's, it's the two people sat at the front and the people on the other yeah, on the yeah. other one.
1: So Riker's just going, yeah, that looks great. Uh, uh, just just left a
2: bit up. <laughs> uh, Whatever. What, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Slow down. Yeah. I mean, a true manual docking would be him sitting down at the controls and flying it in, wouldn't it? And doing it himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but old Miles O'Brien, old nameless <laughs> O'Brien, is doing it. <laughs> it's a good thing he was paying attention at that point, then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, well, "This is the most interesting thing I've had to do all day." <laughs> oh, Riker's, Riker's like, M- "Left five degrees," and O'Brien's, "Sorry, what? when you say something? <laughs> what? What are yeah. we doing?" <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I know it'd be funny if he, he did that. He went like, "Left five degrees," and Master
1: went,
0: oh. <laughs> "Yeah, five degrees."
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you're I think you're putting a little bit too much of yourself <laughs> into this.
1: Increased speed? (laughs)
2: Increased speed, Data? Yeah, increased speed. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, he executes the manoeuvre perfectly. Hooray. The ship is whole again. Later, Picard is stirring a cup of tea in the briefing room, and he's talking with Riker. Also notice, he's not done the old tea
1: old grey hat from a replicator he has like a a, a flask yes he does on the trail yeah yeah.
2: They, they, they've obviously guess the replic rep- weren't working <laughs> that day offline yeah 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 deadpan Picard tells him that he handled the fairly routine manoeuvre quite well
1: uh, sorry who is deadpan Picard is he Jean-Luc's brother is he like his gangster brother <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we're gonna
2: talking about Dead Pound Picard. He's going to wipe you out, man. He uses a type 2 feet. You want to be careful what you say, because the writers of Picard will think that that's a real thing and they include it.
1: <laughs> <So they definitely, laughs> like, yeah, I was like, why is this character called Dead Pound Picard? That's his brother. I mean, forget the fact that in Picard they've wiped out his real brother. <laughs> yes,
2: it's never mentioned it, once. He doesn't get a mention. Not once. Not once. Nope. Um, Picard questions Riker's attitude that a captain shouldn't beam down on away missions, pointedly asking if captain's rank means nothing to him. But Riker explains that it means everything to him. Picard wonders if second-guessing his captain is a bit presumptuous. But Riker asks for permission to speak candidly, and Picard stirs dead into his eyes, replying, always, that's a nice moment.
1: Uh, one thing about this scene is, like, I could imagine being the captain, and then it's like, going, so... You don't think the captain should beam down to dangerous away missions? No, sir.
0: Hmm.
1: Sounds good to me. Uh, well, 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 what think you think the rank means nothing then? Well, I just think you know the captain's safety is important. Oh, so so I won't be beaming down to dangerous away missions? No, sir. I'll be doing all those. Ah. Oh. Yes. <laughs> I mean. Okay, if you if you insist, that's fine by me.
0: <laughs>
1: you could just go back and lean back in your chair and go, this shit's easy.
2: <laughs> it, it makes sense that they introduced this, because if you think back to the original series, I mean, all the main officers used to beam down all in one go, didn't
1: they? <laughs> well, yeah, it would be, be like we saw earlier. It would just be like Cole Meany sitting in the bridge going, well... Bridge crew's dead. Um, uh, I guess I, I, I fly back to a starbase somehow.
2: <laughs> Riker goes on to explain that having been a first officer himself, Picard must understand that the safety of the captain must always be his first duty. And he has no problem with any rules the captain makes as long as they don't compromise his safety. And he doesn't intend to back off from that position. And as you said, Picard's thinking, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Woo! All right. One further thing, Picard tells him. He explains that he's not good with children, and Starfleet to have... <laughs> go on. Sorry, it's like,
1: one more thing. When the sign on the door says, when this cabin's a rocket, don't come knocking. <laughs> <laughs> you don't enter. Yeah. All right, mate? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Where's Troy? (laughs) (laughs) She's gone. She sensed this hours (laughs) ago. Something very, very different.
2: (laughs) I'm sensing a powerful uh, mind. One further thing Picard tells him, and he explains that he's not good with children, and Starfleet have seen fit to give him a ship with kids on board. And seeing that a captain should present an error of geniality, it's Riker's responsibility to see that that is what he projects
1: that's fine he's like don't worry sir we have some 1970s DJs they're really good with children <laughs> oh uh off, officer Samuel <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he, he works on the USS U-tree
2: <laughs> you don't hear about that shit do you <laughs> boldly going yeah, oh yes boldly going <laughs> oh
1: the USS U-tree they're like fire torpedoes jingle jingle <laughs> <laughs> That's the sound they make as they <laughs> fly.
2: <laughs> oh dear! I hope people know what we're talking about. I'll <laughs> uh, well,
1: Google. Go- no, don't Google, <laughs> Google it. No, closeness.
2: don't. <laughs> no, don't. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Jimmy's. Oh. 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 Finally, Picard softens, smiles, and welcomes Riker to the Enterprise. Riker responds with a big smile. Uh, this is for me the best scene in in the first part of, of, of Encounter at Fairpoint, feels like the moment that, as I say, something in Stuart's portrayal of Picard clicks. It's just two men in a room sizing each other up. It's it's well written and it's well played, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I don't mean literally sizing each yeah. other. Because <laughs> we know who'd win in that respect. Yeah, right, he's, he's a big man, big man. Isn't he, Mr. Riker? He's Raker? a big man, he's a very big man. In bay, Crusher is examining LaForge by spouting exposition about how his visor works. He admits that it causes him pain, but he puts up with it because any treatment would affect how his visor worked. Riker arrives on the bridge, and he seems a little bit in awe of its size and complexity.
1: Everybody is, Paul. I don't understand why you can't comprehend this.
2: (laughs) He meets Worf, and he asks where Data is. Worf tells him that Data is escorting an admiral who has been inspecting the Enterprise's medical facilities back to a shuttlecraft. Riker says, why shuttlecraft when it would be easier to just beam out? But Worf points out that the Admiral is a rather remarkable man. And we cut to Data, escorting an old man through a corridor. The man is bitching and moaning about not wanting his atoms scattered all over the space. Yes, it's DeForest Kelly. In a little cameo as the Admiral, but we know it's McCoy. And it's kind of nice that they included this. It's kind of a bit like a passing of a torch. Although the original cast did go on and make two more movies after this.
1: Oh, well, they did, mm. yeah, yeah. Well, wait, two more movies. Yeah, Star
2: Trek Four had already come out, so you've got Star Trek Five and Star Trek Six with the with mm. the the whole cast together. I know that Shat, Shatner's in...
1: I was I was worried you were going to mention Star Trek Generations. No, that's
2: not the entire cast. Not it, not, no. that, not really. Anyway, Data tells McCoy that at his age. He would assume that he wouldn't want to waste time in a shuttlecraft. And McCoy gets the hump. He is old. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Asking Data. Asking Data. It's
1: the best joke we've done uh, all day, Paul. uh, Don't worry, don't apologise.
2: And he asks Data just how old he thinks he is, to which Data replies, 137 years old. He looks good for it. It does, yeah. I I hope that I look like that when I'm 137 years old. I
1: have a feeling I'll look like dust, but, you know. I wouldn't worry. I mean, you don't look that good now. Oh, thanks, Paul. That's very nice (laughs) of you to say so.
2: Is this makeup a sort of recreation of the makeup from the classic episode of Star Trek, where they all age? It looks very similar. Oh, I hope Mm. it is. I think it is. Ah, oh, nice. McCoy checks Data's ears, telling him that even though he doesn't have pointed ears, he sounds like a Vulcan. And as they walk away, McCoy looks around the ship, saying that even though it's a new ship, it has the right name. And if you treat her like a lady, she'll always bring you home. And that's and it that's, for our uh,
1: yeah. first part of the Encounter at Farpoint and the first part of this episode. That's right, folks. You lucky people. There's more to come.
2: Obviously, we're not going to summarise the whole episode, but how do you think it's going so far? It's weird when you go back to a show that you know so well and you see it from the beginning again.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You, you're seeing an evolution, aren't you? The actors don't really know their roles that well. The show itself's trying to find its feet. There's some questionable acting choices for sure, but it's it's only minor quibbles at this point. Yeah. I mean, on the whole, it's a good start. It sets everything up nicely, and I'm sure that the second part of the story will be just as strong, won't it, Colin?
1: Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, mm-hmm. and I—I I always remember like people to say that oh, the first season of Star Trek: Next Generation is the worst. But I, so far, I kind of enjoying this pilot. It's—it's
2: it's nice, you know. I—I yeah, I hadn't gone back to watch the first season in a long time because they were the ones that we saw the most, I think as yeah. kids I've got to say I'm enjoying it too because i i I'd forgotten some of it it's been such a long time yeah. since I've watched it i would forgotten little bits and pieces here and there so yeah I'm enjoying it too so that's the end of our first part of our Star Trek The Next Generation
1: episode call it episode 100 point
0: one
1: thank you to our Patreon supporters and don't forget you can email us at info at retrospectionpodcast.com you can visit the site retrospectionpodcast.com and you can still message us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, thank you for all the nice messages for about our 100th episode and remember today you may feel like your life is just moving so slowly at impulse speed but always remember, tomorrow you can warp to a whole new world
2: goodbye bye